It's Friday night, everybody. You know what that means. It's Friday night. Let's have some fun. Let's get together and play a ton. I'm Matt. And I'm John. <laughs> and we're Friday Night Games. We're two board game enthusiasts who really wish we were in Europe. Every week, we choose a theme and try to pull in our listeners by presenting board games with a fun, entertaining, and informative show. On today's show, we're going to explore Euro games, what they are, what people's fears might be, people's obsessions, and give out some recommendations. Cool. So are we discussing Euro games, or are we just exploring? Exploring into our listeners' minds by that last comment. Yeah, we're definitely going to be psychoanalyzing our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Oh, All right. Excellent. So with us today is a very special guest. We're going to consider him our Eurogames expert. So we have with us is Michael from Aethex Tube. So welcome, hey. Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your channel? Yeah, so my, my channel is, it's a Thextube on YouTube. It's primarily a YouTube channel, and it's focused mostly on board games, but I also incorporate some other hobby content, which is currently 3D printing, but it's varied throughout the years. You know, if you're interested, it's spelled A-T-H-E-X tube. And it's the same thing on Twitter or Instagram if you're interested in, in those social media. Awesome. Yeah, I did. I did definitely notice. I mean, I actually was on one of your videos. We played the Dinosaur Island Roar and Write, which was a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, that game was really good. But also you do a lot of those plays, right? Where you where you go and, and you, you play a lot of the, I think it was Tabletop Simulator, but you play everything on that. Yeah, basically. so be, I guess before the pandemic, we used to do a lot of live playthroughs where well, I would record it live and then do a little bit of editing and then post the, you know, the physical board game. But because of the pandemic, we've been doing virtual playthroughs either on Tabletop Simulator or on Board Game Arena. I also typically are uh, have been doing a top 10 BGG Climbers video and I've been doing that for a couple months now. And I'll usually post two or three other videos a week with varying content of you know playthroughs or unboxings or board game reviews. So. Yeah, that, that's really cool. The fact that you mentioned that, I did notice that when I did the playthrough with you that you do those Climber videos. And I thought that was super yeah. cool because I don't know if you kn knew that I monitor the hot list for like the same like Climbers or whatever. I don't know if you oh. do that. No, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's an interesting story on this, why I started doing the Climbers videos. There's been this geek list that a guy on BGG has maintained for years, and I've probably been reading it for at least two or three years every week. And then I thought, well, you know, my viewers might be interested in, in my thoughts on these games. And mm -hmm. so I started posting these things, and I got a lot of really positive feedback about it. A lot of people really liked the idea that someone was going to provide some commentary on this list instead of just looking at the list themselves. Nice. Yeah, I think like I think that's a really niche thing to have because people don't always realize why these things pop up on the list, right? And, exactly. it, you know, it could be Kickstarter. It could be just, you know, a game that just got popularity two years ago for some reason, you know, had an expansion or never got popular now. There's a whole lot of different reasons, and it's really interesting when you find that information out. So it's interesting that we both have that same mindset, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's it's fun to look at. I mean, if you know, if, if you haven't seen BG or Board Game Geek, it's a great website to look at, and I think it's really fun to see you know how things are trending and and how things are moving around, and and even sometimes it points you to a new game that you might have not looked at. Yeah. 
Yeah. Michael, just a, a question for you. So how did you get started into board gaming? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. So I initially started board games growing up as, as many people have. And back then, my favorites were uh, typical American games like Monopoly, Risk, and HeroQuest had actually just come out when I was growing up. I had a copy of HeroQuest and... You know, these games were well played. I I remember from my childhood trying to get my family and my brother to play with me more often than they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had this, I I guess, innate uh, love of board games from a young age. So you're just like, bro, was your brother older or younger? Uh, younger brother, but I, he's just like, I, I just want to go play on the playground, Michael. I don't want to <laughs> hero quest. Exactly. I got to put or up play all outside these in the snow. I got to put up or... all these gates. Oh man. <laughs> Why is there doors everywhere? I don't like doors. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I would have been the young one. Someone tried to play hero quest with me when I was like four and I'm just like, this game is super complicated. I can see that right away. Yeah. And, 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 and I looked back at my copy of it and it was well played like maybe one of the most well played games we had used up all the character sheets and everything wow. and it, it was just a, a fun thing to look back on that i guess i had uh, such a love of board games from a young age after that my next phase was in college so with my roommates we would play like multi-day risk games like seinfeld style right <laughs> and sometimes we'd we'd have the board in like someone else you know a third party's oh, apartment <laughs> and and just for your neutral territory to be you know to, oh, be, to be handled I, I yeah risk risk is really the next element <laughs> like when you get older you're like because like the, it's funny because the seinfeld episode i don't know if our listeners are old enough to even remember the seinfeld episode but there's that famous scene from like weren't they playing it on like the subway <laughs> I th- yeah i think something like that yeah like the games are going forever right i just remember yep. i remember playing like a five-hour game of it once i i think the most famous line from that is i, I think it was kramer that yelled the ukraine is not weak <laughs> oh they, they, yeah they met someone on the subway who was like from the ukraine right yeah it's like ukraine yeah, so- ukraine's weak ukraine not weak and he flipped the board right <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so we were playing risk a lot and then an interesting thing the, the this is kind of the beginning of my love of euro games so in my last year of college actually so we had these girls that were neighbors that we spent a lot of time with they actually played Settlers of Catan and brought it over. And we started playing Settlers of Catan with them a lot. And that was really just the whole start of Euro gaming. Wow. From there on, I purchased a lot of Euro games or just games in general over the course of the next 10 years until I took a break from game from board games kind of after my kids were born. Just be I mean, if you're if if you have kids, you know, there's a lot, you know, when they're babies, it, it just takes away a lot of time that you you might have to do these things. John knows. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so and then maybe about six or seven years ago, I got started back into board games again. It happened to coincide with the huge growth of board games in you know, in the U.S. and in Canada and the Kickstarters and, and just this explosive growth, really. Yeah, yeah. That all, you know, coincided with the whole Will Wheaton era of tabletop, right? And then Kickstarters kind of board games being some of the bigger Kickstarters that were released. That's cool. That's cool. And then so that led to you starting your channel? Is that what happened? I I can't even remember exactly when I started my channel, but I thought that I wanted to share my ideas on board games with other people and I wanted to try to help grow the hobby. I thought that, you know, maybe people might have been in the same situation where they just weren't aware of all these unique board games. You know, maybe they've just been playing, you know, Monopoly or Risk their entire life. And they, you know, they may not even be aware of how many exciting games there are out there that are, you know, expand beyond that. Yeah. And that's, that's very cool. I noticed you have a little bit of 3D printing on there too, right? So it's like your, it's like your hobby channel. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 
And and yeah, I would say yeah, it was it was originally started as like I think at the time board gaming was my main hobby, and then maybe two years ago I got into three D printing along with it, and the channel just kind of grew with my hobbies. It's kind of just the things that I enjoy and I want to share online, I guess. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So you know, if if you didn't catch it earlier, that's Athex Tube, A T H E X T U B E, and you can check that out on YouTube. And there's a lot of fantastic videos, including uh, one with me <laughs> playing uh, Matt. <laughs> playing roar and right with uh michael which we which we had a lot of fun i had a lot of fun playing that with you that is a very unique roll and right i don't know if you how many roll and rights uh, you guys have played too many <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought i mean I, I don't know if you felt that way i i actually thought it so we actually played dinosaur island later and it felt just like it felt right it felt perfect like along with the series and i actually mm-hmm. really liked it like i liked it a lot like i, I went and thought back like we played cart- cartographers which could be arguably yep. one of the better rolling rights and john's played welcome Two, and, and i played you know all the wolfgang varsh games twice as clever just as clever right so i i loved it i thought it was fantastic i had a fun time i even had like a fun time with the little jokes like remember how you yeah. can exit <laughs> through the wall yeah <laughs> i was actually trying to exit through the wall at one point i'm like i want to exit through here like that's what i want to do that's my goal so it was like super cool they allowed you to do that and all the puns i'm glad you laughed at all my dad joke puns that i tried to throw out there during the video yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that's why i'm never allowed back on No, no we'll, we'll you know we'll have to we'll have to do you know more of these playthroughs in the future. I think that I, I think the Raw and Right just presented a unique opportunity, but you know there's always new games coming out, and, and you know with the advent of Tabletop Simulator having pretty much every game available, it really opens up a, a world of possibilities. Sweet. So heard heard it here first. Me and John will be on another one. <laughs> <laughs> Make it, make it more puns. Yep. <laughs> if I can ever get tabletop simulator to work on my computer. No, we'll just we'll just share, John. We'll just play like me and you. Remember, we do, we've done that before. It's kind of funny, actually. Like like the two headed <laughs> ogre. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> from like yeah, two headed ogre from was it World of Warcraft or I think it was World of Warcraft, right? Character like one one person is like one arm, the other person's the other. It was like a, a joke, like a oh, April yeah, Fool. It was yeah, April yeah, Fool's no, joke. It, it's it's actually I don't know if anyone's played Heroes of the Storm, but they have the the two-headed ogre in Heroes of the Storm. Yes, yes. Both play at the same. Yeah. Now, yes, you just brought back. I actually own that character. One of my, me and my buddies used to play it all the time for fun. Yeah. But yeah, so, okay, well, that was really good conversation. Podcast isn't over, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually brought Michael on here to discuss Euro games, right? So let's have some fun. So before diving into it, let's all define a Euro game in our own words. For me, Euro games has, you know, ind- indirect player interaction, some really cool, comp- like abstract looking components, you know, carries a little bit of conflict, some drama within the, the players. I like it. I don't, I don't know if it, if I would say like worker placement is a big part of it or not, but it could be a, a, a component of it, mechanic of it or something. But okay. I don't know. What do you think? Huh? I think it's a game where I explain to Novi about 700 rules uh-huh. and then he gets really upset and then might just blank out and then I looks like I'm talking gibberish to him and then he just I help him make his moves and then he just hates the game (laughs) (laughs) that is a Euro game to me Uh, Michael how about you that's accurate (laughs) <laughs> so I would say a Euro game 
to me, features uh, a few things. One of them is low direct player interaction, which I think John mentioned. I think another characteristic is is low luck. I think mm-hmm. that's a, a huge differentiator between like you know American or Ameritrash games and and Euro games. Oh, uh, Michael, what's an Ameritrash game? Can you explain that for listeners that they don't know? Okay, yeah. So Ameritrash game is. I would say your maybe the quintessential Ameritrash game is Monopoly. So Monopoly is a game where you roll dice and that randomly determines where you end up and then you make usually make a decision. One of the main features of Ameritrash games is they're highly thematic. So in Monopoly, the gameplay is really based around owning properties. That's the kind of thematic component. Another game that's highly thematic is the Arkham Horror series, which I think it's heavily, you know, Ameritrash, which again, you roll dice to move and you make decisions based on your, you know, whatever happens to you. And fundamentally, there's a lot of randomness into it in, in these games typically, but they bring in heavy ties to the theme and bring you into this, this world. Very cool. Very cool. So sorry to get you off your track of explaining Euro games there. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so, um, so, so the other thing that I think is kind of quintessential Euro game is victory points as like the competitive measurement for winning. So, you know, there's cooperative games, but, you know, your your kind of classic Euro game is competitive and almost every one of them features victory points. They might not be called victory points, but they're they all basically serve the same purpose. So it's like a mechanic. It's a mechanic to stop, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, or, or just even some Euro games, you'll take a set number of rounds, right? Right. And at the end of those rounds, you'll measure your victory points and whoever has the most of these, you know, these points wins. And, and as I mentioned earlier, with the Ameritrash games are heavily thematic, your Euro games typically feature your mechanics or mechanisms over the theme. So in some ways, the theme is secondary to it. Now, I think in more recent years, there's been a a greater emphasis on theme and trying to tie that back to the mechanics in Euro games, which classic Euro games just won't have. You You could take and, you know, Castles of Burgundy could just as well being like a fishing game as opposed to building castles, right? Right, yeah. Collecting fish and putting them in your (laughs) aquarium. (laughs) (laughs) Which we'll explain a little bit later, but yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Cool, yeah. So I actually actually researched it and Wikipedia had the best answer and it actually cross-referenced the Board Game Geek. Board Game Geek actually had a Wikipedia a long time ago and they had Euro games listed on it. So it's kind of cool to like cross-reference what they have. So guess what? You named a lot of things on that list. So I'll... (laughs) So first things first things first Eurogame came from it was a term coined in the 1990s technically when Settlers of Catan made its way to America. Catan is definitely not the first style of this like first type of style of this game and it was just the most wildly successful in America in the American market plus like other countries too. And, and even now, Settlers of Catan is a fantastic game. But at that time uh, Eurogame was technically a game not from America, right? So but that has kind of turned into this definition and Euro games will have this these properties to varying degrees. So you mentioned this one, Michael. So incentive for solo play. So that's technically like mechanisms to stop. So victory points might be that. Rounds might be that, right? No player elimination. So players yeah. are generally in it to the end, right? And there's multiple paths for victory. Common game mechanics. John, you were saying this. So these are the most common. It doesn't have to be this. It's not limited to this, but these are the most common, right? So tile placement, auctions, trading slash 
slash negotiations, set collection, area control, and worker placement. Now, I'm sure there's other things in there too, but those are the ones from Wikipedia. Low randomness, you said this one, Michael. So that's totally true. Although like, you know, Settlers of Catan has a dice you're still playing odds on what you're rolling, right? So Exactly. So everyone's still gaining resources based on the dice rolls, but it's it's not like 100% the game. Well, I guess maybe it is, <laughs> it is mostly that game, but it's it's just a small part of it, right? Yeah, I would say in, in Settlers, in theory, you're rolling the dice so many times that it'll average out somewhat, right? right? Or you'll have a deck of cards where you'll go the entire deck, so you're eventually going to see everything, and it's just the order something comes out in is different. And then here's the most controversial, which I kind of dis... I think this is kind of an older thing. I think most board games have this now. Game designer kind of like represented as an author of the game. Mm. So you might talk about... I, I mentioned the name earlier, Wolfgang Varsh games, or I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but Ure Rosenberg, I think his name is. Uh, Uwe. Uwe. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> so like they're like, oh, I play, you know, I play U- Uve games or I play Wolfgang games, and you know, it's like they're like it's like reading a book, right? I read this yeah. book, I read Tolkien books. That's a horrible example, but you know, Brandon Sanderson. There we go. I read Brandon Sanderson novels. Yeah, it, it, it's actually a good. I, I think it's a good point you make with the designer kind of being brought to the forefront of the of the game. And I didn't. I, I guess I didn't consider that, but I do. You know, I am a fan of some designers' games more than others in the Euro genre, and I think that applies to to a lot of people that play these games. Yeah, because you know that they make a style that kind of fits your i don't know i guess board gaming is kind of like a like a mental push-ups right so you're like this exercise is what i like so they're gonna make similar exercises pretty neat all right so that brings us to the next question this is sort of a round table from here on out <laughs> why are people afraid or why do they dislike euro games i'm gonna start this one and i think this is this is kind of along the definition of ameritrash a little bit which I feel like is not the greatest word for the that game, but basically people like the opposite of these games. So you were saying that they don't have to be thematic. I think some people really love thematic games full of role play, like Dungeons and Dragons, for instance. There's a huge following of that. People want to take on that roller character, fight some demigods while pretending to be a mythical creature from far away, right? They're trying to they're trying to escape reality, right? And in a Euro yep. game, you're kind of just yourself. right there's nothing there's nothing crazy about you're just you right so you're just doing something you're making a city or you're you know in castles of burgundy like you mentioned right you're you're creating your your duchy which is your town around a castle so you know you or century you know you're you're trying to collect golems for instance exactly so the theme isn't even that important right and you are just you you're just there there's no role you're you're not a warrior not a wizard you're not pretending to get out of reality you're not fleeing from the real world you're just you yeah and and that's actually an interesting point you make with century because yeah and you're probably aware that century golem edition is simply century spice road that has golems yeah and and actually (laughs) to learn how to play century golem edition i actually watched the spice road (laughs) and i'm like oh this is just this is i'm like there's obviously the same game but i'm like golem edition has prettier pictures so therefore a better (laughs) game because of it yeah, yeah, it is. It is weird, right? <laughs> but maybe that's because we're a bear trash. <laughs> so, Michael, like shiny, prettier things. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get that diamond that's worth less than all these gemstones, please? <laughs> I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> 
What about you, Michael? What do you what do you think? Why do you think people hate or are afraid of Euro games? Yeah, so I, I think the to me, the lack of theme, as you mentioned, is, is a big is a big turnoff, as well as I think the complexity of some of the games makes them less appealing. And the third point is that historically the graphics design has been, I think, objectively bad. <laughs> 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 Well, let's go back on that one. <laughs> why? Why do you? Why? Why do we? Why do we think that is? Like, does anyone have a a, a, a theory? I guess because we don't actually know. We just have theories, or maybe I, you do know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I think it's that the theme is secondary, so no okay. one ever spent the time and effort to make a good looking game. I mean, a, a good example of this is the Castles of Burgundy, as we've brought up before. The first edition looked bad, really, and they actually they actually came out with a new edition that only marginally improve the look of it. <laughs> it was like, I was expecting like, you're going to take this amazing game and like make it look amazing. And it was like, we made it like a little bit better. You know, it's funny. I actually own the newer version of it and I was playing it last week and I just like, I'm like, this game doesn't like, I actually didn't think it looked very good. <laughs> so to, to imagine that there's something worse out there, like in the, in the looks wise, like, oh man. <laughs> This is pretty bad, right? Like, yeah. If, if you want to see an amazing game that looks atrocious, just go back and look at the original Castles of Burgundy edition. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious, John. What about you? What do you What do you think? Yeah, I'm gonna kind of piggyback on what Michael said. I mean, sometimes they don't seem as exciting to play. You know, and when we played like Carcassonne for the for the first time, I was even though like I slowly got got into it. I was like, what the hell are we playing? Like, <laughs> I'm so bored. Like, I, I started off, like, really bored. But then after I got, like, into it, like, it, like the excitement had to build, like, it built yeah. up for me during the mm -hmm. game. Like, I wasn't, like, amped up to play it the entire time. And sometimes, I, for me, I don't play a lot of Euro-style games. So when I think of it, I think of it more of, like, a, it might be, like, a heavier game night or, like, a longer game night. There's usually a lot more rules, right? I'm usually explaining right. a lot more. I also find it a hard sell. It's hard to sell the game to everybody. So, so like when we play games together, someone's like, "Hey, we want to play this," and you kind of have to like talk everyone into it. Yeah. And, and, when, <laughs> and when you're doing like a Euro game, you're like, "Well, it has a lot of rules, and it looks ugly, and uh, <laughs> you're gonna yeah. hate it." <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what to say to these people. Because especially with our group, like we have such a wide range of people who like different styles of games. So like Euro games just seems like such an unimaginable thing that we can bring to our table just mm -hmm. based off everyone's personalities, right? And like so when, when we're picking out games to play, I don't even think to even include Euro style games anymore. Right. Except for like the, the most like Catan. We played Catan, everyone loved it. Yeah. Right? That was a while ago though. And it I was Catan and Catan's classic, right? right. So kind of those game one of those games you everyone's played and everyone kind of owns you know you just you play it every now and then so 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 i do have one question for you guys have you tried the new gloomhaven game jaws of a lion i'm on like scenario four i think okay yes i think that's a good merging i mean to me it's a good merging of the euro game plus the you know ameritrash with a cooperative aspect right so you think that would be a good gateway for people to kind of like go from like ameritrash to euro or you just think it's a great mashing of the two i think it's just a great mashing i don't think it's necessarily a gateway game i think it i think it's for people that you know maybe aren't going to be happy playing a euro but want i guess maybe more than your typical ameritrash game offers 
Cool. Yeah, I'm playing. I'm playing it solo, so I'm having fun just doing it at my own pace instead of you know having to rely on other people to play it with. I just yeah. bring it to the table when I have some time, and I'm slowly just going through. I, I'm actually having a really, really awesome time playing it. I've never played Gloomhaven. It's good to know that like it's an easier version of that game. Just going through it slowly, because it, it I I hate reading rules. Mm. So Matt, Matt's the rules guy, right? So like the way it's laid out is you pay. I think the first like five scenarios are all just getting into the rules and they throw you into it after that and it's really it's really a nice build up to get into the game i've actually played the original gloomhaven i had a gloomhaven group that we were playing it over the course of like two years wow we'd play it like maybe two times a month and we'd play through a scenario we, we beat the game and, and all this stuff i haven't played jaws of the lion yet but i i've read extensively on it i think it's the best version of gloomhaven for almost everyone including probably myself just because of the improvements it made as you mentioned the kind of tutorial aspect of it and also the adventure book concept where it brings in this much easier to set up much faster to play adventure book but it contains all the awesome stuff that was actually in gloomhaven and it's relatively inexpensive yeah yeah it's really cheap i noticed that right away that's like way cheaper than you know 200 150 usd game which would be like a million dollars in canada so (laughs) (laughs) yeah we like we were lucky enough one of our local board game our local board game store tabletop renaissance check them out (laughs) in the west end near the bridge check out solon solon will hook you up see look at that plug we just did it so naturally there so naturally uh he actually (laughs) gave us a copy of the game to to play so we can play it kind of mention him in our podcast every every now and then and stuff like that so i lucked out getting that game for for free so i appreciate that so we're not here to well, talk about Jaws Line, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you liked it, though. And, and interesting that you brought up the solo play aspect, which is, I think, maybe something that's grown a lot in the pandemic. But it's also something where even people that aren't solo gamers, like Tom Basil, have loved the solo aspects of Gloomhaven and, and some other games. Yeah, and, like, and it's really difficult to play so, uh, solo, too, because you're playing with two characters. So first, no, not playing Gloomhaven. I'm like, I have no idea which characters to choose. And they all do very specific things. Things I know I'm going to have to do in the game. And I was like, I could only choose two to play with. And, you know, I made I made my choice and, you know, just really having to manage those characters while playing. Like, I think the third scenario, I killed both my characters. Like, I, I, I didn't beat it. <laughs> And I was like, oh, man, did I choose the wrong characters? And it's too late to go back. They say in the first scenario, like, you can change characters now, but after this, we don't recommend you doing that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This this is a good little thing because you kind of played it. And and because it's kind of a combination of the two, I'm just going to ask, let's just start with Michael on this one. Why do these games get played so much when they hit the table? Yeah, so at least among my friends, the low luck factor is a big attraction to these games. Many of the people that I I play Euro games with really enjoy a game that flows out of decisions rather than randomness. A good example of this is uh, Gaia Project. So it's a very complex Euro game, but there is essentially no randomness outside the setup of the game. So you'll be given kind of this random setup condition, a random race that you, you get, or you maybe can choose the race depending upon how you're playing the game. But then... From there, everything flows out of decisions that you make and your opponents make. And so I think that's something that I would say a lot of people that like Eurogames like that aspect. I think that that maybe is the kind of sums up the whole thing. The other thing is, and and this is something I like a lot, is I think the maybe the low interactiveness is actually something that a lot of Eurogamers enjoy. The direct interaction. Like, I like interaction through, like, oh, I need to plan my turn uh, in terms of which worker placement spot I want to get to first. But it's not like, oh, I play this card and you lose your whole hand. Right. (laughs) Right. You're out. (laughs) See you later, sucker. (laughs) 
so I, I think that that's to, to me that's that's why you know why we play them a lot. Right. What, what about you, John? What do you think? Why do you think they get played so often? I think you know not having player elimination as part of it, right? So when you think of think of games that when I when I think of a board game or you know when we had the stint of trying to design a game, you know when you look at eliminating a player from your game, that's taking someone away from actually playing your game, right? And that and you know I know when we play games and I get knocked out, I I'm bored, right? Like I'm not going to want to play that game again. And for a game that a lot of it's based around like victory points and so that keeps everyone sort of engaged the entire time everyone in the game Mm -hmm. and in turn you know going back on to my point i made earlier where you know might not seem as exciting at first but you're in the game the entire time and that excitement builds up and maybe your love for the game will build up yeah so just for me i think it's just being able to play the game the entire time you're at your game night yeah i i I think that's a really good point i i think that I, i guess i've been playing them for so many years that i even forget that this was really a concept invented by euro games right before this you just got eliminated from a game like you might be eliminated from risk yep. and then you're like you either go home or you're like i can watch this game for another 12 hours <laughs> or, or you can be like my friend flip the table pissed off leave, leave the house and get in a car accident <laughs> true story <laughs> or or uh, we're playing with D once and one of my friends got eliminated within like 10 minutes he went he was kind of angry he just went on and slept on the couch for three hours oh wow <laughs> is, that, is that me no, that was uh no, it was Grabka. But yeah, it was just like wow. Maybe. <laughs> and then for me, I guess my so I had what John said, so I agree 100% with that. I agree 100% with you, Michael. And I think that maybe the games because they have that mechanism to cut it off after a certain amount of time is really good. And that's not all games, right? Like some games go 2 hours, 3 hours, but a lot of the you know like Catan is an hour. Yep. Castles of Burgundy is like an hour to an hour and a half. You know, Century was an hour. You know, and they're just like they, you could you could I think what the cool thing is you could you could keep going. Like if you really wanted to, yeah. you could be like, you know, it, it says 5 rounds, but let's do 6, 7, 8. You know, it kind of has like that addicting factor. You could keep exploring mm-hmm. it if you really wanted to. So I think that's really cool. So on this, so on those two notes, those two topics we just talked about, maybe people don't really know how to get into these games. So I, I thought maybe we could recommend a key starting game or just fantastic examples in this genre that can, that anyone could dive into and enjoy. And so I actually, before this podcast, I, you know, Michael is our expert for me. And I said, <laughs> well, Michael, what do you recommend for us? And you recommended Century Golem Edition, correct? Yep. So, so why did you recommend that game for us? I think it's an excellent example of a resource trading game with very streamlined mechanics. And I think about the right amount of player interaction for a year. It gives you a taste of trying to get to something first and planning out a series of actions and making a lot of good decisions on your, on your turn. I also think that this game, it, it has the right amount of randomness. Now, you know, I gave an example earlier of Gaia Project where there's very little randomness, but I do think, depending upon the game, a there's like a right amount of randomness for that game to make it a good game. And in this case, by having that randomness of the order the cards come out and the order the golems come out, it gives you the replayability that you need in a game like this that plays for 45 minutes or an hour, right? And that means that, you know, as you said, you might want to set it up a second time or a third time in a night and play through the game and 
you know, see how you're going to do things differently or see how you change, you know, how you approach the game. So just for our listeners, if they don't know, first of all, we I actually highly recommend it before we get into everything else. So thank you for that recommendation. It was awesome. And we'll get into what our group felt about it. But I'm going to fill in just a little bit how it plays. So it is a deck builder. So, so, so I think more specifically, it's a hand builder. Okay. All right. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. You're right. It's a hand builder. You're trying to buy... So the object of the game is to buy golems using the gems you collect from the cards in your hand. And as you buy you, the golems, more golems fill in. You can get extra cards by simply exchanging your gems or by taking... the. So you're taking the less... There's, there's more cards available to you. You either take the leftmost card for free, or if you want another card, you pay gems to technically get a specific card from the left. During your turn, you'll either purchase a golem, use a single card from your hand that is placed in a used or discard pile, obtain another card, or take all the cards from the used and discard pile back into your hand. The cards in your hand chain resources into combos, which make the player become more efficient at creating more gems or of different colors, which essentially buys you golems. And then the game is played until someone hits their fifth or sixth golem, depending on the player size. I loved it. <laughs> I, I thought it was awesome. I had a fun time playing it. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. What do you, what do you two think about it? So I, I played a different game on Friday when we were, when you guys were playing it. So I was kind of listening in as to what you guys were doing, trying to get a hint because I wanted to play it too, right? So I, I played a sec, uh, the second round after. I had a lot of fun. I liked comboing the cards to get the gem. So I had a pretty like really, I had a pretty sweet setup with mine. So I had a card that gave me two green gen gems. So that's like one over the basic. Basic is yellow. It goes like yellow, green, blue, pink or something. Right. Yep. And yeah. that, then I had a card that turned my, my green. No, no. Then I had like the upgrade gem cards to turn them to blue. And then I had a card that turned my blue into pink and then a pink into like a bunch of other gems. Yeah. So I was like really each turn. I, I felt like I really didn't need to purchase any more gem cards because that was working for me. So I was I was really comboing really well, like all any time I had the cards in my hand. I think my favorite part of the, the game was I was really trying to get that that 20 point golem card. And I was paying <laughs> I was paying more attention to what you and Michaela were doing than yep. what Novi was doing. And then Novi ended up swiping it. I had like one turn. <laughs> He got it like one turn ahead of me and I was trying to like manage my 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 gems and I was like, okay, I just gotta oh. do this one thing as long as no one else does it. And then all of a sudden I see Novi swipe it. I was like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> it was I, it was really like Novi had a blast. So let me just put it this way. Normally when we play it with our group, they're usually like their minds are fried and they're like, okay, we've had enough. But this game they're actually like, man, we want to play again. And they're like, and they were trying to encourage, so Bill and John were playing another game and they're trying to encourage, Bill had to go work on his house, but they're trying to actually encourage them to play like, hey, you two, you need to play this. You're going to really like this game, right? I can actually see it hitting the table again through Novi's recommendation, honestly, because wow. he, he really like, he liked the aspect of like, once he figured out the game, he liked the idea of watching other people's resources to kind of guess what they were doing. So he actually like yeah. caught on really quickly to like the, the second level strategy of the game, right? So I thought that was yeah. super cool. Yeah, it's, it's actually, I, and I didn't mention this earlier, but a lot of people that play this game, you know, it's not just a hand builder. It's also a basic engine builder, mm -hmm. like it's because you're building this engine of how to turn these gems over. And then, as you mentioned, there's another level of strategy where you want to kind of judge where people are heading. 
so you can go do something, either beat them to wherever they're going, else. or do something else. Yeah. Otherwise, you're because competing for stuff in this game, you know, the limited resource of the golems is is really tricky. Yeah, like, which made it really fun. <laughs> which is <laughs> which is why like. And honestly, sometimes you you play like the game isn't complicated, right? Like I was able to explain it to them all in in like under 10 minutes and they got it right away. But I think that that but being so complex and having so many decisions and kind of like having the the kind of engine building aspect that you're mentioning of changing gems into gems makes it like complicated. And so like that's actually what makes it really good because it's so simple and you can understand it. And yet there's like another two levels of complexity that it can go with, right? Like they can go with it. That makes it yeah. so entertaining. And 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 some people listening may be aware. So Century Spice Road is essentially a kind of a, say, a more refined version of Splendor. So I don't know if you guys have played Splendor before. Yeah, we played Splendor. Yep. And so it's a, to me, it's a, it's a better version of Splendor. I don't think I even own a copy of Splendor anymore after playing this game. And it really, it takes the ideas of Splendor, but puts it in a, I think, an easier to learn package. That is more fun to play. Yeah, I. That's a very good. That's a very good review. I. <laughs> <laughs> I 100 percent agree with that, and I think our group loved it like completely. And it really, I feel like I had that Catan aspect. You know, Catan kind of appeals to everybody. Yeah, it, it appealed. It appealed to everybody, right? It appealed to Michaela, who's into you know party games. It appealed to Novi, who's into like I. I don't even know what is Novi into. <laughs> John, do you know? I don't. Really, I don't really know. <laughs> I think I, I think he's in the he's in the Hearthstone. That's what he's into. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so maybe maybe that like card aspect of it, but it, like appealed to me. Obviously, I like all games, but I saw the like family aspect to it, right? Just being simple and being easy to play, and that's pretty key. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if you noticed, but I believe the rules are like a two sided page of paper that's not even that big. You know what? I, I did, and and it made the like it was very easy to understand, which is hilarious. You mentioned Splendor because I actually found the Splendor rules very complicated on their rule book. I don't know why. It's a very easy game, but the way they yeah. explain it is not easy. <laughs> well, and, and and I think I think it's just that Splendor, you know, making a good game is difficult, but making a good game that really condenses down your ideas, as well as Emerson Matsui that uh, designed this did, is really an achievement, I think. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. I 100% agree. Hats off to him. There you go. If you, <laughs> as we discussed earlier, we should follow all his games. In fact, he made <laughs> the other centuries, I'm pretty sure, right? That all... Exactly. You know, they all come together at some point, right? Make a... they, they they actually do. I haven't played them together, but I have listened to reviews of them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an interesting concept because each game gets progressively more complex in the Century series. So Century uh, Golem Edition is the, I guess, the simplest of the games. And it's almost like, you know, if you like this game, you could get the next game and try that one out and then get the next game and try that one out and then combine them together and get a, a more complex game kind of walking your way through into a into a much more complex year game starting out with a simpler one. Very cool. Very cool. So on that note, can we can all of us give a recommendation, specifically you, Michael, that can kind of bring people into, say, the next level of Euro games? Like, you know, we just talked about Century Golem Edition, which is also Century Spice Road. That's kind of like a very beginning, it's simple to learn, right? 
what would be yeah. like another step to you? I'll I'll give an answer too, but I want to hear yours first. John, you lined something up in your head too. Yeah. So what I actually did is I, I kind of I took some of the games that I really like, and I actually have a I have a whole top ten list of my of the games that I personally like as my top ten games of all time. I took some of those and I also took in ones that I know that other people like and came up with this list of games I recommend for you know people of varying stages of experience in board gaming or Euro gaming on what to try, starting with the least complex to the most complex. Cool. Yeah, we love lists. <laughs> so, so, so let's, let's hear let's it. Be... Let's hear. Let's do. No. Okay, here we go. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'll start with the least complex games here, and, and you may have already played a hold lot on, of hold these. On, hold on, I'm, I'm going to introduce it. <laughs> this is Michael's list of least complex to most complex games. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> so Seven Wonders. Oh, man. Seven Wonders. <laughs> that it's game a, is crazy. It's it's a crazy game. It fits a lot of players. It, it really brings drafting to the forefront, which is a, a popular mechanism. And it's probably my, I guess, the simplest game I'd recommend off off this list. Num- number two is uh, Space Base. Okay, we so never played know. that. You never no. played Space Base? No. Nope. People may have played kind of a simpler cousin, which is Machi Koro. Oh, okay. yeah, we played Machi Koro. Yep. Yep. So Machi Koro, it, it takes the concept of Machi Koro and really refines it and I think makes it a, a better game. So if you like Machi Koro, try Space Space. I think it's like a way uh, superior implementation of, of those ideas. So like Machi Koro, you, you basically buy these houses and you roll the dice and the dice gives you coins. Is it is it that type of concept? It, what it is it like add? that. Yeah. Um, it, it is like that, but the, the 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 fundamental difference is you start out with ships. So you're building like this fleet of ships in space. It could be anything. It could be like you're building, you know, farmland with plants on it. <laughs> but in this case, it's spaceships. Okay. And you'll start out with a line of spaceships of different numbers you can roll, like watch curl, but you start out with like an equal playing field to everyone else. And then the diff- the thing it does differently, instead of just adding to your city in Machikoro, you actually upgrade and replace your ships. And as you do that, you get a lesser benefit from the old ships that you upgraded. Oh, that's cool. And then removed. So it, it makes it... Decisions, it makes it very, right? Like it decisions, making... and it has a, a concept of like shooting the moon in uh, hearts. You can actually go for like an instant win condition that's really hard to accomplish, but you might be able to pull it off. And so it it's really an amazing design. It's probably uh, John D. Clare's best game. Hmm. See how you use the see how you use the author there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From Space Base, I highly recommend that. It's a it's a relatively simple game. It's cheap and it's amazing. It's awesome. everyone that's played it, it loves it. Number three is Dominion. So you probably played this game. Oh yeah, love it. I love that game. Comboing. It's all comboing, but I love it. Yep. So Yeah, it's it's and your classic deck builder. I mean, I think there's other deck builders that might be better than this, but I think Dominion's easy to access and it's it's really a classic. It's also the grandfather. Say. So, you know. Yep. You wouldn't have any deck builder if you didn't have it. So Exactly. The next one on the list, number four, it's actually a combo because they're very similar games. It's Lords of Waterdeep or Champions of Midgard. Oh yeah, I played Champions of Midgard. Yeah. I really like mm-hmm. that. Lords of Water is it? Are those similar? I never played Lords They're of Water. They're similar. The the main difference, and I think it's I think Champions of Midgard might be a better game because of this. It, so Lords of Waterdeep is just a straight up worker placement game in the Dungeons and Dragons like universe. So I think if you're into Dungeons and Dragons, you might find a little bit more interest in the Lords of Waterdeep. But the thing that Champions of Midgard does is it the playtime is quicker for sure, but it brings in this concept of your warriors being dice, and I think that you know it's not oppressive because they have ways to mitigate the dice rules like you you don't have this you know huge amount of randomness you also you don't have to have the opportunity to build your dice pool the way you want it 
right? So there's a lot of choices in there. But the fact that you're kind of taking a risk when you do something gives you this excitement in the game that you don't find in, in every Euro necessarily, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, I like the theme in it too. So it was kind of neat. Yeah. Like you get on your pirate ship and you go fight sea monsters or go to, you land on like the ogre land or something. Yep. <laughs> it's yeah, been a you're, long well, you're time, fighting but... like, like mythical beasts from Viking, from Viking mythology. Yeah, we had a lot of fun playing it too. So, and that was probably one of our first kind of games like that we played too, which was really neat when we played. Yeah. It. So I actually hadn't played this till very recently. I had played oh, World really? of Waterdeep a bunch. Yep. So been on my list for a long time to play and I finally finally got the table and I, th- I thought it was really good. I did have the I took a big risk and re-rolled five times and still lost <laughs> type thing. Yeah. But you know it can ha- you you know that going in there there is the chance of bad luck happening. But I actually think in this game it adds to the game as oh, sometimes where it takes away from it, I think. Nice. Number I think Five on the list is Roll for the Galaxy. Okay, that's a very popular game. We haven't played that, though. But I highly recommend it. And they have a digital version of it, too, if people are interested. It's I think it's on iPhones and Steam and all that stuff. This one, you're essentially rolling dice and then kind of assigning them. And if you've played... Uh, I guess the dawning thing here is there's a lot of symbology in the game, but it's not it's not too bad once you learn the rules. And you can you select essentially a a phase to to perform, but the real secret to the game is that everyone else is selecting a phase too. So you need to judge what they're going for and assign your dice properly mm-hmm. so that you can make use of their actions. And that's how you win the game. And it's I think it's better than Race for the Galaxy if people have played that, but I think it's an amazing game. Cool. Number six is Pandemic Legacy, oh, season yeah, zero a, or one. That's a big game. Everyone loves Pandemic, right? Why Why do you think that is better than, say, Pandemic, for instance? I, I think the fact that you're able to customize things in the throughout the game and there's a storyline through it. And I think that, I mean, some people say, okay, it's a game that you can't really play after you're done. And I would agree with that, that that's kind of a a negative thing. But I also don't want to go back and play Pandemic Legacy. I'd rather just play, you know, Pandemic or or a different one after the story's done. Because I think the the fact you don't know what's going to happen and the fact that you have to kind of read the story and make decisions that are permanent really adds a, a tension to the Pandemic game that you can't really do outside of a Legacy format. Very cool. So... I noticed how you said Pandemic Zero or One. Why not two? So, so I've I've only actually played one, but okay. I plan on eventually playing two. It's just legacy games do take a lot of time. As right. I don't know if you guys played through them before, but oh, it we're still playing through a bunch. <laughs> it can take a very long time to play through these legacy games. So, yep. but I recommend Zero One because they're better, like introductory games to the legacy okay. concept. Oh, two. Season is two has. A lot of ideas that are more complicated and probably aren't as good to start with. So they're assuming you you have knowledge of zero or one basically when you do. I think so. Okay. Yeah. I think two is kind of like the advanced version of Pandemic Legacy. Now, the you know, the reviewers say that season zero is the best season. It did just come out. So maybe there's hype still, right? There is, but it does do different things, right? With the pandemic concept that they haven't really done anywhere else. So they could be that. Number seven, I think, is Concordia. Oh, wow. I never played that game. What's that like? So Concordia is, it's actually a hand building game. And you start out with the same hand as everyone else. And just like Century uh, Golem Edition, you can buy new cards to put into your hand to give you new, to give you more abilities. The secret to this game is when you choose to pick up your hand again, because it, it, it causes income to be generated. And also, I guess the other concept is that your hand is essentially how you get scored at the end. So there'll be different, each card will have a god on it, a Roman god, and each of those gods score for different things. So as you pick up your cards, 
you're not just building this engine to do more things. You're also building how you're going to get scored through the game, which is, I don't even know if there's any other game that does this in, mm -hmm. in existence. It's also not super complicated in terms of games. I would say it's slightly above Pandemic Legacy. That's why it's on this list you know, here. But it's not like your super complex Euro game. I think okay. you know people can come in and learn it, and it's it's not going to be too down dawning. Cool. It is not the best looking game though. But... Well, it's a Euro game. <laughs> it's a Euro game. We'll go back to the list. <laughs> is it ugly? Yes. Although Pandemic <laughs> isn't ugly, so maybe that's that's you know more more that's a combination, right? Of the exactly. Ameritrash meets Euro. So. And I'll say the next game on this list is is good looking. So I think it's number eight is Scythe. Oh yeah, Scythe. Yep. <laughs> so this one most people are familiar with. It's probably, in my opinion, it's Jamie Stegmeier's best game. Oh. Ooh. Oh, um, <laughs> I actually told about last week. If you're listening to this right now, we released an interview with Jamie Stegmeier, and yep. I was just complimenting how I love Tapestry. So Tapestry, I, I think, is is a solid game, but it had it started out with some balance issues that I think have been since corrected. I'm sure at this point you've listened to this interview. He actually talks about that with me, which is really cool. Definitely, if you not if you haven't heard that episode, check that out. Yeah, it, it was kind of controversial. I think when it when it came out about how imbalanced it was. I think it'd be good to listen to to your interview with him and you know get his opinion directly on it. My thoughts on it were that it just didn't get enough play testing. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But going back to it, like I said, Scythe. I think you know if you like Tapestry. I think you're going to like Scythe, but I do think the thing that Scythe does better is it gives you more incentive to interact with other players. Yeah, I, I, I played both and I really, I honestly like both a lot. I like, I think I like, and I mentioned this in the podcast last week that I like Tapestry better mainly because it has a better solo game to it and it mm. really allows me to explore all the tracks and in and, and this, you know, in this, I play a lot of games solo to teach it to the group. Yeah. So if it has a really good solo game, it's a bonus. It's such a huge bonus for me because I know I'm going to play it again, right? Scythe has yeah. a decent has a decent single player, but it just doesn't feel the same. Like it, it has good interaction. It did help me learn the game, but it just doesn't seem. I feel like the Tapestry single player is just very well done. So I was very mm. happy with it. No, I would agree with that. I think that Tapestry is a better single player game, and I actually said that in my reviews of Tapestry that I had much more fun playing it single player than I did with other people. Yeah. Because at the time, you know, my review was done within the first like couple months of it coming out. And at the time there was balance issues. And I would say 50% of the people I played with never wanted to play the game again. Oh, <laughs> because I, I think I think they felt that due to the random chance of the cards coming up or whatever at the time, they just didn't have a chance in the game. Okay. Yeah, they're like a run a runaway leader problem. But, you know, that doesn't matter in a solo game for one. And two, I think that you know, with all of his updates, he's corrected a lot of that. So I think that was number seven, Scythe. And number eight is Clans of Caledonia. So I don't know if you guys have played this game at all. No. I would say this is kind of a intro to like Terra Mystica or Gaia Project. It's about these clans in Scotland and they're developing Scotland with buildings and cows and stuff. My relatives? My relatives are in this game? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, this I don't is, know what clan you're from. Um, clan Menzies. Are they, is Clan Menzies in this game? Uh, not not that I know of yet. This is, this is how you sell a game to a Scotsman. You just say, you're the, oh, yeah, your clan is totally in it. <laughs> but 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 if, but if you're big into whiskey, there's whiskey breweries, and nice. you can be like the whiskey clan that you know, ages the whiskey and sells it. And there's some cool thematic ties into it, and it's got some you know, asymmetrical clans with special abilities, which makes it really cool. And 
again, it gives you kind of an intro to Gaia Project or Terra Mystica if you want to go to a more complex game nice. uh, later on. I actually, I, I feel like when I play Gaia Project, it's a lot of work and maybe your turns don't seem that fun sometimes. Like you might just build a mine for your turn and you've accomplished like the world because <laughs> you, you had to line up like all your ducks in a row to just be able to build that one mine. In clans, you feel like you're always doing something. You can always accomplish like a lot of stuff. So I think it's a more fun game. So it's more satisfying is what you're saying. I would say, like, yeah, more you're, satisfying. You're paying yeah. resources, you get more satisfaction because you're like, look at all this whiskey I produce. I'm going to get super drunk tonight. <laughs> Meanwhile, on Gaia Project, you're like, yeah, I just got some moon rocks for everybody to play. <laughs> not as exciting, right, I think? No, it's, it's definitely not as exciting. So I, I recommend this. And the other nice thing about Clans of Caledonia is that it's available on Board Game Arena. Nice. So people can play it remotely. And in, the nice thing is it enforces all the rules. So it's sometimes easier to learn these more complex games. By... Oh, that's really nice, actually. Because usually you go on those systems and you have to just... You know, someone has to still be the, the rule master, right? Exactly. Yep. On Board Game Arena, they fortunately enforce all the rules for this game. And it makes it... I think it's just so much easier to learn that way. Nice. Nice. Check that out for sure. Number eight, I think, is Terraforming Mars. We have that. We have that. We just have never gotten around to playing it. So You should. Although I can only recommend it if you play it with the prelude expansion i've i've heard that why is that can you can you tell me because honestly like everyone says that and i and i saw that on your list too and i'm like you said that specifically you quoted you need to have this expansion yeah so so there's there's two things so actually if people look at my original review of terrifying mars i was kind of gave it a negative review i didn't say it was a bad game i just didn't think it was a great game and the Prelude expansion takes it from maybe a good game to a great game. And wow. the way it does that is that it jumpstarts your engine. And by jumpstarting your engine, you get two benefits. One is a typical terraforming Mars game. You'll have an amazing first turn. And then you'll play three turns of like playing maybe one card or and doing like almost nothing. Mm -hmm. What Prelude does is it takes your first turn, makes it even more amazing. And then usually your second and third turns are actually pretty good turns. The third thing it does is it shortens the length of the game. So Terraforming Mars can easily be a three or sometimes four hour game. Depending Whoa. On how fast people play. <laughs> Whoa. And, yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. big. That's a time commitment. Yeah. And and so Prelude cuts out at least three turns from the game okay. and really takes it down to, you know, if you're playing this game a lot, you can do it in two hours. Probably no problem. Maybe even one and a half. And if wow. you're even a like a slower player you know two and a half or three hours should be no problem okay that's so good to it know. really it really speeds up the game and that's good to know because we have some deep thinkers so we need to like cut the game time down sometimes so exactly oh, yeah. so I, I recommend before you start playing it just order the expansion it's like 16 dollars or something nice. it's super cheap and it it just it makes it, it it takes a you know what i said would be a good game and really brings it to like top tier game it is complex but it is very fun and very satisfying and it, it i would say it's one of my more played games in the last few years of all the games I, I i played number nine i think is a feast for odin wow okay this is a very highly highly rated game never played it yeah. so this is in my opinion the best uve rosenberg game nice again author author name in there <laughs> author exactly, name exactly yeah we played no and, we played nova luna by uve rosenberg and it's also very good so maybe i'd probably like that one Right. You probably would like this one. And and the reason why I think this is such an amazing game is it takes kind of all of his concepts that he's worked on over his whole career. He started, you know, making 
very simple games like Bonanza and some other card games. I forget exactly what, what they were. Then he bu- made Agricola, which was his first like big worker placement game then he built that into la harve and caverna and now he you know a few years ago he came out with a feast for odin and the thing the game does is it just presents you with a huge amount of options and i think it has like 60 worker placement spots in that you can place a varying number of vikings so you just have a huge amount of choices and what unfolds out of that is you build your own strategy and that strategy, you know, is probably going to be different from your opponents just because of the sheer amount of choices. The other thing it does really well is it incorporates engine building elements using his polynomial system from like Patchwork and from Spring, Gar- uh, Spring Meadow, I think, and Cottage Garden games. And so you're going to be building this like polynomial place to put all your Viking stuff in wow. as your horde, your Viking horde, I guess. You'll put like silverware or swords or in some cases you might put like milk and stuff in your horde i think is best game oh well okay and then the final sounds, one sounds complicated it's a really complicated <laughs> game yeah so, so so we're on the like this is like the super complicated end you know you have terrifying mars okay. a feast for Owen, and then probably the most complicated game so this is if you're if you're you know maybe experienced in complex ameritrash games like maybe you've played twilight imperium before and you like that and you want to try out a hero game I was about to say that's what you're going to recommend for sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like the number one, you know, Ameritrash, like, here we go. We're going to sit down for eight hours, try to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, so, so if you're already versed in these type of games and you want to jump like right into the deep end, my recommendation is go for the Gallerist by Vitell Lacerda. Wow. I've never even heard of this game. Or maybe I have actually. You may have heard of it. You probably have heard. Probably of it. have heard of it actually. Now yeah. that I think about it. And so the reason why I specifically recommend this game. Now I think Lacerda is a a good designer. I don't think he's as good as Rosenberg. But the Gallerist does something unique that I haven't. I've seen very few Euro, Euro games do. Is that it takes a really complex game and all of the actions make sense once you learn it, in terms of the theme. So in this game, you are a owner of an art gallery and. You're essentially going to be taking actions to do different things in your art gallery. It might be, you know, buying artwork or you know selling your artwork to make money to afford other things, or recruiting assistants for your gallery, or trying to like advertise to get more people in your gallery. Mm-hmm. And once you like kind of get through all of the complexity of the game, the actions just make thematic sense and and really blend into an amazing game. That's cool. That actually sounds like Preta Porte for me. Yeah. So it sounds yeah. Like, like exactly very, very similar. Same type of like and, theme. You got to basically run the fashion, a fashion business using exactly like either make clothes or you do modeling and, and you build, you build up your studio. It's actually like a very cool concept. Yeah. And I, I think it just, just like Ignacy did with, mm-hmm. with Preta Porte, it really merges the theme with the actions. Right. And so even though it's a complex game, it's going to, you know, it's going to make a lot of sense once you, you know, once you understand, you're going to be like, this is an amazing game. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt with Pret-a-Porter. Because honestly, yeah. like I read the rules for a long time, and I actually played that with my wife, which is a very complex oh, wow. game to play with my wife because she does not do <laughs> complex games. <laughs> but she actually but, liked but, it. She liked how all the themes tied in, and what she she felt like what she was doing was building up to something epic. So she really liked it. You know what I mean? Well, and, and I think I think that that you know you're uh, you actually bring a good point that you know having a good theme with a euro game I think can bring people that uh, you know like your wife that might not normally be willing to play a more complex game into it because the theme either makes sense or excites you or is like you know this sounds like something i would want to you know right. play yeah no and absolutely right and that's that's one of the cool things is when you have a euro game that's complex and it actually does have a really great theme it works <laughs> yeah <laughs> right you can appeal to a lot more people you can bring in a lot more gamers right so exactly or create a lot more gamers in that case so 
Very good. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for that list. Can you say the list real quick? Just one to ten. Just again, real quick, from least to most complex. Seven Wonders, Space Base, Dominion, Lords of Waterdeep, or Champions of Midgard, Roll for the Galaxy, Pandemic Legacy, specifically ser- Season Zero or One, Concordia, Scythe, Clans of Caledonia, Terraforming Mars with the Preload expansion, A Feast for Odin, and The Gallerist. Nice. So, John, what about you? What what game do you want to recommend? I think probably the best Euro game that I've played that I've enjoyed the most is probably Power Grid. Really? Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, we play. I, I Was it because you kicked one- my butt? Probably. <laughs> uh, we only played it at the, the one. I've only played it the one time that we played it at, at game night. But I had a lot of fun playing that game. I really liked, you know, balancing everything and like the bidding system to create get the most out of your turns and your resources was, was really cool for me. I, I just, I, I remember like really being like, I want this game in my collection. I just never purchased it to play it at my house at all. But, but yeah, that's just popped in my head as soon as like I, I read that question. It was just the first, wow, that's cool. That's, wow, really yeah. cool. That, that, that's impressive. That, that's actually a interesting game because it's, it's a very like heavy, highly competitive and what's the right word? It's like a Euro that can beat you down if you make a mistake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be... Well, I feel like it kind of hits like all the points of what makes like a Euro game a really good Euro game, you know, and you know, very, very strategic, you know, and it's, it's deep Mm -hmm. and I just, you know, and I feel like it's one of those games that it's very hard to master. Like you probably have to play a bunch of games Mm -hmm. before you really feel like you can master the game. So that's mine. (laughs) <laughs> all right so mine mine is actually a newer game and i actually like as i went through definitions it kind of came to me so mine's actually pendulum by stonemeyer games oh wow and that's actually because it's you know it's not like super complex it's not super easy to play but it actually fits all the definitions right so yep. incentive for social play right it's five rounds no player elimination everyone's in it to the end it does include the common game mechanics it includes worker placement but it has a little bit of a craziness factor with timers so the timers make like your decisions really quick <laughs> so the game can't go longer than 60 minutes which is really cool it has low yep. randomness because you're placing your workers in different places I and mean, it has a game designer on the box so obviously <laughs> obviously it's a good recommendation mainly because when we played it i I noticed that the people who weren't really into euro games were having a a blast with the timers and not really realizing what they were playing right so i thought that that really made it fun and like a good recommendation to go to the next level yeah it's a it's a unique recommendation too because it's probably the very first or maybe only real-time worker placement game i know isn't it weird Yeah. It's such a weird, like, and that's why kind of like, I, I'm, a, I'm a weird person. Like, I'm sure you know that from talking to me over this hour and playing games with me, but I like weird things, weird things that are slightly different. And that really stood out to me as like the mechanic of the timers with the worker placement was like, what is, what the hell is this? <laughs> is this real? Who thought of this? It's a great idea, which yeah, also could I, be a horrible idea. <laughs> when I came into game night, I wasn't supposed to show up that day. I, I really wanted to play Pendulum. I know it was something I was looking forward to play and I came in kind of when you were explaining the rules to to your brother Michaela, Mike and Michaela and I was like not really paying attention but paying attention and just you know when Michaela was like laughing so hard right about you know not seeing what this one resource was doing and she was like <laughs> it was just like really funny to like as an outsider you explaining the game it was fun 
and then I, and then and then I jumped in and played, and you had to explain it all over again. So. <laughs> so you, you, you just like how I had to explain it twice, which is actually the hardest part of the game. Explaining the game is the hardest part of that game. It's actually not hard at all. It's interesting you mentioned that. We did a do. I don't know if you saw it. We did a full playthrough of Pendulum in real time. Okay, I didn't see on, it. But nice. Yeah. Nice. So if you're interested in in, t- in taking a look at it. And I still haven't published my review on it because I wanted to play it. I wasn't able to fit all the plays in that I needed to to do a full okay. review. There are two amazing things I think that, you know outside of the real time aspect with Pendulum. I think one of them is, or I guess the real time aspect, and and as you mentioned it earlier, the fact the game ends in sixty minutes is pretty much guaranteed to end. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Which yeah. is awesome, right? Like you don't have exactly. to. You don't. You don't. You know, like usually you you look at a game and you're like, okay, I know my group. This game's going to take twice as long, right, or half as long, or something. This game is yep. like no, it's going to be sixty minutes, like on the dot. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> which, which, which I thought was amazing because just being able to get essentially get a like a uh, a worker placement game in in that amount of time that everyone ha- you know, was engaged the whole time is a really good thing. Yeah. The second thing I want to mention about it, and I, maybe it's a maybe it's a lesser thing, is the way the market was done in Pendulum. You'll essentially be gathering these votes through the rounds, and at the end of the round, those votes count as the not for buying stuff at the market but the order you get to choose something from the market which, which is a, which is a very important advantage exactly you want to get yep. that that big worker right that's what i noticed you want to get yes. like right? you, you want to get your yeah you want to get the worker for the big worker is is key getting that guy yeah. and then but there's other advantages to get and sometimes we actually had people pass up the big worker because these there's some other advantages they really needed yeah and they and, were like yeah okay, you're right some of the other advantages are like super powerful too right exactly so. and and i think that this is something that i haven't seen as well done in other real-time games I've played. There's, you know, a lot of times a market or like a downtime period, but I think this is where it really, it's clear that I think Jamie's guidance on this really was able to guide the designer in the right direction for this because I think that they put together you know something unique and something that you know people have really liked. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it was it, it hits all the Euro stuff and it's real time. It's it's just a weird game, <laughs> but it's well done. <laughs> it's a well done weird game. So hats off to Stonemeyer Games. Obviously, they do a great job. You know, uh, yeah, I mentioned Scythe earlier, but they have a lot of really good quality games, mm-hmm. and uh, Pendulum is just their latest one. Yeah. So there you go. So that's all our recommendations. But on a really fun note, you actually sent me a link to your game collection, <laughs> <laughs> and that is one very impressive, massive game collection. So as Canadians, if you ever seen Wayne's World, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> we're not worthy. <laughs> we're not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've just been building it up over a lot of years and I probably haven't gotten rid of as many games as I should have. So so here's my question to you. What is your shelf of shame? Is there anything on there that it, like you are just ashamed that you have never touched? Well, I, I would have said Champions of Midgard, but fortunately I was able to get that in before we uh before Woo! I was on. Woo! Saved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think there's actually unfortunately maybe fifty percent of the games I own I haven't played yet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty normal for uh, gamers, I would say. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say the one that I really want to get a chance to play, though, and just haven't do the time commitment that it would require is War of the Ring. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, that yeah. is a, that's a huge time commitment. Yeah. We haven't played it either, but... Uh, that's well, on your shelf too, Matt. War of the Ring? No, it's not. What? No, no, I oh. have. You're thinking Journeys to Journeys in Middle-Earth. Oh, he didn't okay. say Lord of the Rings. No, War, War, War of, the of the Ring. Ring. It's a very oh, specific okay, Lord sorry, of the Rings yeah. game. No, it is a Lord of the Rings game. You are right. It is. <laughs> but it's a very no, long I, one. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's like, I think, minimum eight hours for a first-time play. Yeah. 
because it's all the rules. Yeah, it's it's something like we try to avoid that sometimes because like I mean I try to avoid it because I'm the rules guy. Because yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> I know that means I'm gonna be reading for eight hours and maybe people might be sleeping or just like what is going on here, blowing their minds with like oh don't worry about it. There's only rules to those rules to those rules. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so I I would say that that was my you know that's the one I'd like to play at some point, but. You just have to, you know, the time commitment's so big. Do you, have, do you guys have any that you're, you know, wanting to play? Or Mine's actually Terraforming Mars, to be honest with you. I have it sitting on my shelf. I was actually looking into Prelude because I, I read that comment that you said, and I think maybe you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. So, and, I, and I actually kind of agree with that because I feel like it does look like a very long game. So I'd rather play one that's shorter. But actually, there is one on my, on my list. It's on Mars. I haven't played it. It's oh, yeah. super popular. And well, we were going to play it at PAX. But, but you I fell didn't asleep. Sleep for four hours. So <laughs> let, let me just tell you about On Mars. That is a complex game. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I read that. I read it was like four. It was a super high weight board game geek. Which I'm like, well, there's a store near us that has has some copies of it in Amherstburg, Matt. I'm not gonna go buy it. It's like three hundred dollars Canadian. It's like <laughs> it's like three hundred million dollars Canadian. Okay. <laughs> so so it's done by the same designer of the Gallerist. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, so it's Lacerda, but it's probably his most complex game, or maybe maybe not his most complex, one of his most complex games. Wow. And I was fortunate that I played it actually at BGGCon for the first time. Mm-hmm. I and I sat down at the table, and the person that taught it to me was one of the playtesters for the game. Mm. Oh, so cool. he knew the game really well. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So that definitely helps, right? So It does. <laughs> I'll just warn you, you're going to get a lot of rules wrong the first time. <laughs> We get we get rules wrong all the time. Yeah, like we could we be playing the simplest game, we'll get the rules wrong because we're just like, oh, we know this. Yeah, Monopoly. Oh wait, how do I have to roll dice in this game? There's dice well, in Monopoly. Played, what is this crazy badness? We played the deck builder on Monday, and we were putting the weakness cards and the discarding them wrong the oh, entire yeah. game. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. That's all right. That's 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 board game life. That's like board. That's like first world board game problems. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know how to read the rules anymore. <laughs> you know? Cool. What about you, John? What's your shelf of shame? I'm going to go off yours and say Spirit Island. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's uh, just... I bought that like a year ago, too. Really excited yeah. to play it. We just... You know, board game content creation just takes over, and you don't get to play yeah. what you want. <laughs> as far as games that I own, I don't know. I, I, I don't tend to buy like heavier games, either, because I like to try to play games with my wife as much as possible. But I don't know. Probably... I've had My City for a while. I haven't played that. Dark Harvest. Uh, was like Court of the Dead or something like that that I've had for about a year now. Yeah, I don't have anything too crazy that I haven't played. Probably mostly like the DC deck building game. I've I've only played a, a handful of the expansions. I did get an onslaught thrown at me, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to get through it now. It's all you. Yeah, I I, I will say I, I highly recommend trying to get to play Spirit Island though. Yeah, it's a very I've I've heard it's an amazing game, and I'm actually looking forward to playing it. It's just a matter of getting it down, getting yeah. it on the table. Yeah, we we have an agenda of games we need to play, and like mm. because that's an older game. It's hard, you know, it's hard to, to get time to play. Actually, I think we will have, we'll have time in the next couple months, but it's just like we're trying to hit all the games that came out in 2020 exactly. that we think are going to be good, right? And and kind of be on, be on trend is what yeah. I like to put it. Well the, well, the nice thing is all the big releases should be done here pretty soon. So you'll get a, a break, in the as you said, in the next couple months from all these releases. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 cool thing with Spirit Island, if you you know if your listeners are are interested, is that it's 
It's a heavily thematic cooperative game that incentivizes cooperative play more so than I've seen in almost any cooperative game. That's awesome. Like, really, the key to winning this game is finding unique combinations between you and your other players to uh, essentially win, really, against all odds. It's a very difficult game, but when you overcome it, it it feel it just feels amazing and it feels like you really accomplished something you know working as a team awesome nice cool so uh wow we talked about a lot today yeah <laughs> we had a lot that was good the good conversation so michael thank you for having us on yeah thank you for having me yeah awesome it was a great conversation about euro games and life and shelves of shame and canada a little bit that no one heard but <laughs> <laughs> check out his channel it's athex tube so a-t-h-e-x tube on youtube and you could check through a bunch of his playthroughs he's our he's our he's our euro game expert so we'll probably pull him on again to school us a bit <laughs> or teach maybe, us maybe we'll go through his top 10 list and we'll discuss that yeah, we yeah. should. I mean, should. I'd, I'd be happy to come back and talk more about your games. I, I, I love them. Or anything. Or maybe we'll make you like, we'll totally throw you off guard. We'll put you on and you're like, okay, guess what? We're talking about Uno today. Just Uno. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> but we'll we'll trick you, though. We'll, we'll tell you we're tell, we're talking about, you know, the gallerist, but we're totally not yeah. talking about the gallerist. <laughs> You'll be like, you're, we're going to do a live playthrough of On Mars, and then I just show up and it's it's Uno. Po- it's poker <laughs> <laughs> which you i don't know everyone likes poker so there you go all right cool thanks everyone all right so thank you all for listening if you like what you hear don't forget to leave us a review on apple Podcasts or hit that follow button on your favorite streaming platform is there a game you'd like for us to check out and talk about or have you created a game and you want us to preview it let us know by emailing us at info at friday night dot games don't forget to check us out on our socials instagram at friday night games underscore official twitter at friday night gms and don't forget we now live stream board game playthroughs on monday nights at 8 30 eastern standard time at twitch.tv slash friday night gms so come back next friday for our next episode and remember it's friday night let's have some fun